Amen. Well, I'm thankful to God for putting uh, me in a church that just values uh, the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God. Uh, I've gone away every year except for one uh, to, to try to get better at it. Going to a preaching workshop, Pastor Nick's been with me there the last three years, and so spent the, the, a good portion of this week at that. Very grateful for it. Um, grateful for just uh, your patience with us as we make progress. We just want to be faithful proclaimers of the Word. Speaking of that, uh, if you were not here last week and missed uh, Pastor Nick preaching, uh, go back and listen to it. Um, praise God for His a faithful proclamation of the good news that Jesus has power over demons. Uh, I, I, I watched it on YouTube, and then I listened to it on our podcast. So you can find it different ways. They do play it on the radio station. We never know when, but at some point, uh, they play it on the local radio station as well. But, but uh, search for it in a podcast, our church website, YouTube channel, uh, are places that you can listen to sermons that you've missed. But uh, very grateful uh, that we value the preaching of the Word of God because we know that God works through His Word by His Spirit. So if you have a Bible with you, open up to Luke chapter 8. Uh, we're going to finish Luke 8, and then we're taking a break from Luke for a while. Um, uh, while you're turning there to Luke chapter 8, we're going to start today in verse 40. Let me ask you this question. What, what hurts in your body this morning? If you're a, a child or a teenager or maybe even a young adult, you might have the privilege of saying nothing. Uh, if you're in your 30s, I noticed as I got to my 30s that there were some days when something hurt and I didn't have a reason to explain it. Now in my 40s, there's most days where something hurts, and sometimes I have reasons to explain it, and sometimes I don't. Overall, I've been blessed by God with very good health, but there's always something that's not quite right or something off. From talking to many of you who are older than 43, I hear it doesn't get better, amen? Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so, um, you've tried, we've tried all kinds of things. This doctor, this care provider, this surgery, this pill, this injection, whatever it might be, and sometimes those things help, and sometimes they don't. The reality of it is we still are broken and often not getting better, but getting worse. We live in a world torn and ruined from the fall. There are many good and beautiful things in the world, but we are also faced with the dark realities of disappointment, discouragement, disease, and death. Next Sunday, we're going to acknowledge that. And before jumping into a season of thanksgiving and looking ahead to, to our Savior's incarnation, we next week are going to have a service of just lament, uh, just acknowledging before God and with one another that life isn't always happy, jolly, and merry. Uh, it's good to acknowledge that, to sing to the Lord in the middle of it. And so I hope you plan to join us next week. But this week, we're going to finish up Luke chapter 8, where we're going to see Jesus' power over disease and death. Two weeks ago, we saw Jesus display his power over danger as the disciples were in a life-threatening storm, and Jesus, with his words, calmed the winds and the waves. Last week, the next passage, Pastor Nick walked us through seeing Jesus' authority and power over demons. And today, we're going to see Jesus encounter a couple of very desperate people. We're going to see a dad whose only daughter, aged 12, is dying. 
And we're going to encounter a Jesus. More importantly, Jesus is going to encounter a woman who has a chronic disease that she's been dealing with for 12 years. Both of these individuals are desperate. And as we see them encounter Jesus, and we see Jesus display his power and authority over disease and death, I hope that our hope in and our trust in him grows. But I can't make that happen with preaching. I'm gonna make, we're going we're to trust that God can make that happen by his spirit through the preaching of the word. If you're able to, would you stand as we prepare to read the very word of God? Let me pray first, and then we'll read, Father... Humble us before your word. Your word says that that the ones on whom you look are those who are humble and contrite in heart and who tremble at your word. God, help us not to see your power on display and, and kind of think of it flippantly like we've heard it before. In this relatively familiar story to some of us, God, awaken us, open our eyes that we might see the power of your Son over disease and death, that we might grow to trust in Him more. Accomplish that for our good and your glory right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 40. This is the very Word of God. Here's what it says now. When Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed Him, for they were all waiting for Him, and there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him. And touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear, only believe, and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Amen. You can be seated. If it's helpful for you to follow along, inside your bulletin is a sermon outline. Uh, Along with that is our life group guide. If you want to jump into a life group, let us know in the office and we'll get you into one. 
Here in the passage today, we see two main things. We see that Jesus has power over disease, and we see that Jesus has power over death. And this matters for us here and now today. Jesus displayed his power last week on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But if you remember, they wanted Jesus to leave. They saw his power, and rather than inviting him to stay, they wanted him to depart. So Jesus does. He and his disciples get back in the boat. They cross to the other side. And now, back on the other side, the west side of the Sea of Galilee, there are crowds there waiting for him, welcoming him. And among that crowd is a man with great social standing in that community. His name is Jairus. He is a ruler of the Jewish synagogue there. But he's not coming to, to, to offer to Jesus a, like a formal welcome as a dignitary, like he's the mayor or something. No, he's, this, this, this man with some influence in the community is coming to Jesus desperately, falling at Jesus' feet, the desperate plea of a dad who only has one little girl, and his little girl is about to die. And so this man is desperate, and that's the way that he comes to Jesus She's still back at the house and he has left her in hopes of contacting Jesus and knowing that Jesus who can perform miracles, who has shown before that he has power over sickness, asking that he would come with him and heal his daughter. Some of you have lost a child. I can't imagine. I feel sick inside when my kids get hurt. As parents, those of you who have had the joy of being a parent, you hurt when they hurt. You want to take their hurt from them. But we can't, and this dad knows that he can't, but he trusts that Jesus can do something, so he comes to him, and this is urgent. This girl is not just like sick, and she's going to get over it soon. It says she is dying. Did you see that there in verse 42? He had an only daughter about 12 years of age, and she was dying. If there had been an ambulance service at the time, they would have been driving fast, with lights flashing and sirens blaring, because this is an acute, urgent situation. A 12-year-old girl on the brink of death. You need to get there ASAP. And the end of verse 42 tells us that Jesus goes. But there's an interruption. Verse 42, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him, it tells us. And we're introduced to another person who is also desperate. This, a woman who has been chronically ill. She has been experiencing a discharge of blood for 12 years. Her situation is also desperate. It says she had spent all of her money on physicians. But to no avail. None of them could heal her. Now, In addition to the physical problem that she faces in that culture, a discharge of blood would make a woman unclean. So not only does she have a physical disease, but her physical disease comes with some very significant social and religious restrictions. So now she's not only sick, she is isolated and she is poor. Not only is her physical body broken, but certainly this will mess with her mentally and emotionally and relationally. 
Like the dad with the dying daughter, this woman is desperate. But also like the man with the dying daughter, this woman displays faith in Jesus. Just like Jairus had come to Jesus, leaving his dying daughter in order to come to Jesus, so this woman has risked going out into public and being in the middle of a crowd where she would risk maybe making other people unclean by just being there, yet she risks it in order to just reach out and touch the garment of Jesus as he walks by. And did you note that Jesus stopped? Verse 45. Verse 45, and Jesus said, who was it that touched me? Now, of course, people deny it. I I mean, I I didn't touch you. And then Peter just kind of brings out a common sense point. He says, I mean, Master, (laughs) like the whole crowd is pressing in on you. We're walking like this, and you're wondering who touched you. Like a lot of people are touching you. But Jesus acknowledges that there is some power that has gone out from him. And so he's paused, and verse 47 says this, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she was hoping to just kind of touch Jesus, be healed, and then slide back off privately, but she notices she's not hidden anymore. She came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. She goes public with what she had done and her faith in Jesus. Here's why I touched you, Jesus and how she had been immediately healed. And I love what Jesus says to her. He says to her, daughter, one who has been rejected by people for 12 years now because of the disease she has, hears from the lips of Jesus. Yes, she needed to be physically healed, but he hears Jesus. She hears Jesus say to her, daughter, And he connects faith and healing. Your faith has made you well. And then he also says this, go in peace. That's not just a, hey, get out of my way now. I got to keep going. There's an emergency I'm on my way to. No, a go in peace is, is Jesus' desire for her to live a whole life again. Peace, wholeness. Your life that has been torn apart and in shambles for 12 years, can now be put back together. Yes, like those medical supplies that you've needed for the last 12 years, you can go ahead and throw those away. The synagogue, the people that you've been unable to join with, go and join with them. Your family who has stayed away from you, go be with them. Have a meal together. Go in peace. You who are broken are now made whole because you have experienced the touch of Jesus. What a day for this woman. I want to pause here for application before we move on in the story. One point of application right now, a couple more later. I want you to just hear this. I love that Jesus stopped and, and talked with this woman and healed this woman in the midst of what was a much more... Like if, you, if you're working in the ER and you've got a woman who's had a chronic illness for 12 years and you've got a 12-year-old girl who's just about to die... You give your attention to the 12-year-old girl who's about to die first. This lady's dealt with this for 12 years already. It could wait, right? But Jesus sees this woman's need, and he stops, and he talks to her. And I think a point of application for us in that would simply be this. Sometimes when we're struggling, we have a tendency to minimize it. You like that? Like, 
Like, well, I'm dealing with something, but, you know, somebody's got it way worse than I do. And you know what? That's true. There's always somebody who has it way worse than you do. And so we kind of like, we, we kind of divert people's attention away from us by just saying, well, somebody has it worse than I do. But listen, that does not mean that with whatever issue you have, whether it be big or small, whether it be acute or chronic, it doesn't change the fact that you're in desperate need of a touch from Jesus. So go public with your need like this woman was forced to do. Let others see that you're hurting. Even if other people are hurting worse, even if other people's situation is worse than yours, your less sensational struggle is not less important to Jesus. He pauses and He speaks to the woman and sends her away whole. We can come to Jesus with all things, big or small. And now Jesus continues. Point number two, Jesus has power over death. Let's look at these following verses. The passage began with an urgent medical need. This 12-year-old girl about to die. Verse 49, we read this. While he was still speaking, someone from the ruler, that's Jairus' house, came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. It's too late. Jesus was impeded by the crowd. Jesus paused to talk to this woman and now it's too late. The little girl is dead. He should have come sooner. But verse 50, Jesus says this, but Jesus on hearing this answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. Again, connecting faith and healing, but this time it's not somebody who's sick, it's somebody who's already died. And Jesus is about to show not just his power over disease, but his power over death. Look at verse 51. He comes to the house, it says in verse 51, and there's a group of seven gathered together. Peter, James, John, Jesus, the mother, the father, and the child dead, lifeless body laying there. They're weeping and they're mourning. When they would weep and mourn in that culture, it wasn't polite. It was ugly crying, right? Loud, weeping as you would as well, standing next to the deathbed of your daughter. But Jesus says, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him knowing that she was dead. If they see it as it is, Jesus sees it as it is too, but in the face of Jesus' power, it's as though the girl is only sleeping. So that there's not some, some, some big show that Jesus makes to take this girl who is dead and make her alive again. He simply reaches out and gives her a touch as well. But taking her by the hand, he called saying, Child, Arise. I don't even think he used a loud voice. Like, hey, honey, time to get up. Child, arise. And her spirit returned and she got up at once. She was really dead. Now she's really alive. You want to know how she's really alive? He directed that something should be given her to eat. Anybody a parent of a 12-year-old? Right? They like to eat some stuff. Right? And so, so immediately, this girl who was once dead, now alive, Jesus says, you've got to get her something to eat. And 
understatement. Her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Just imagine the emotional roller coaster of these parents in these last moments. Shock and grief over their daughter's death. And then frustration that Jesus didn't come sooner. The dad didn't even get to be there when his daughter died because he had been going to get Jesus. And they came and they told him on the way, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter's dead. He didn't even get to be there. Shock, grief, frustration. And now they're amazed because their little girl who was laying there dead, their eyes still wet with tears from weeping and mourning. And now their girl needs a snack. And they're amazed. Jesus has raised her from the dead. It's no hallucination. Luke also tells us that Jesus said to them at that point, tell no one what has happened. Well, why, why not? Likely because Jesus has not just come to do miracles. That's not the intended purpose of his ministry. The miracles give evidence of who he is. Ultimately, Jesus has come to suffer and to die and to be raised from the dead and call his followers to do the same. He can take those who are dead and raise them from the dead. And he did it in this case, but he doesn't do it in every case. This girl, think about it, will eventually die again. But Jesus has come not only to die, but to be raised from the dead and never to die again. What a day. I mean, in the course of a couple of hours, Jesus' disciples being with him, Peter, James, and John seeing all of this, get to see Jesus' power over disease and his power over death. Two final points of application to bring this home for us. In both of these circumstances, we see serious struggles. Chronic disease, the shock and grief of death, and in both of these circumstances we see the person demonstrating a faith in Jesus. But it's right to probably ask the questions, why did this woman have to wait 12 years to be healed? Or why did Jesus wait so that this family had to experience the grief of their daughter dying before Jesus showed up? Application point number two is this, we can trust Jesus and His timing. On the screen behind me is a picture of Garrett and Amanda Thompson. Some of you know Garrett and Amanda. They've been in our church for about a year and a half now. But Amanda, in that year and a half, has probably been only able to join us a handful of times, maybe less. Amanda has dealt with chronic pain and fatigue in an intense way for 10 years. She can be here to share her testimony, but wrote some things out for me to share with you, and so I'm going to read a bit of her testimony to you. Here's what it's like. She writes, At this point, there is not a day that I have without pain. What varies is the degree of pain from day to day. Along with widespread pain, I deal with chronic fatigue that sometimes makes it difficult to even get out of bed. This can be especially tough since I am naturally a person with a lot of energy. There are days when I feel like a shell of myself. And like the woman in Luke chapter 8, Amanda has tried many things to no avail. Remember the woman in Luke chapter 8? She spent all her money on physicians and no one was able to heal her. Amanda's been at this. Amanda was actually working at Mayo Clinic uh, when all of this really started to hit. 
She said she's tried most everything they had to offer to help with pain and chronic fatigue, given a plethora of medications that only gave her worse side effects, even attended their well-respected pain clinic. She had tried all the kind of normal Western medicine kinds of things. She's not opposed to that. Her dad's a pharmacist, sister, a nurse. But none of it was able to help her. So she said simply being put on meds and not getting to the root of the problem only made things worse. And since that time has tried a wide range of more natural options. Some of them help a bit, but nothing has helped in the long term. It's disheartening, she says. She said now in the last five years, it has increased to the point where I've not been able to work or even really leave the house much. I've seen a variety of different health practitioners, chiropractors, massage therapists, etc. But through all of those visits, I have come to realize in a very deep way that Christ is the only sure thing in this life. She writes about how this affects her mental and emotional health, her sleep. She said it's not uncommon for her to go for more than 24 hours without sleeping. She's exhausted, but her body won't let her sleep because of the pain. She says, as you can imagine, the lack of sleep increases the pain, which in turn makes it more difficult to sleep. It's a vicious cycle once it starts. It doesn't just impact her physical health. She and Garrett, upon marrying one another, this really started about the same time, were praying and hoping for a family. But Amanda writes this, The Lord clearly revealed to both of us that His will was not for us to have biological children because of my chronic pain. Naturally, there is a, certainly a level of grief that comes with that. With that said, we do know His will is far greater than our own. If the Lord were to graciously decide to heal me in the near future, adoption would very much be something we'd love to consider. Those of us who had the privilege of spending a little time with Amanda know that she is just gifted socially, uh, very fun person to be around. But she said it's hard to make and maintain friendships when she's unable to be with others most of the time. Before her health took a turn for the worse, she loved being involved in the church that they were a part of where they used to live. She was a youth leader, worship team member, Bible study life group member. She said involvement in the church might be one of the things she misses most about her old life. Garrett's in our life group and comes every week by himself. Though Amanda's body is broken and exhausted, her faith in Jesus is strong. She said I could send you, she wrote a lot, and she said I could send it all out to you via email so you're not missing any of it, and I'll do that tomorrow. But I asked Amanda specifically this question. I want to read her answer to you. I asked her what it looks like to trust in Jesus' timing. Ten years in. Here's what she said. I have found that part of surrendering is also taking every thought captive. When anxiety and the enemy try to take over, I need to remind myself of truth. Filling my mind with his word spending countless hours in prayer, listening to worship music, they all help with the trust piece for me. I also find that remembering all the many times throughout my life that he has carried me, protected me, that he never left my side, to be so helpful to trust him and his perfect timing. He has proven over and over throughout my life that his timing is impeccable. At this point in my life, those past experiences have helped make trusting in his timing almost natural now. I'm just so thankful for his grace. 
I'm thankful for his grace toward Garrett and Amanda. I'm thankful that we can read passages like this that remind us of the power of Jesus over disease and death. I'm grateful for examples in Scripture, and I'm grateful for examples in real life. There's others in the church as well. Most of us are not dealing with what Amanda's dealing with right now. Some of you might soon. Others are dealing with some other situation that seems maybe likewise hopeless. Doctors and medicine, you've tried all sorts of stuff and it just doesn't help. A number are just facing the challenges that come with aging. Things hurt, they're not working right, you're waiting for a good answer, or maybe you're just waiting for Jesus to come and take you home. Just know this, we can trust Jesus and his timing like Amanda does and like Garrett does. One final point of application, good news. We can be raised up with Christ. There's good news for more than just the young girl and her family in this passage. More than good news for just the woman with the chronic illness. There's good news that's foreshadowed in this passage that is good news of great joy for all people. It is that Jesus has come. It is that Jesus lived fully God, fully human, and that he suffered death in our place for our sin. But this girl who experienced a one-time resuscitation, she'll die again. The fall guarantees that. And unless Jesus returns, we will all die as well. But we must remember this. This is what gives us hope. That Jesus died and he was raised from the dead. Never to die again. Here's what it says in Romans 6, 9. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Amen. And the good news isn't just that Christ was resurrected and will never die again. The good news is that all of us who trust in Jesus, even though we die, yet shall we live. That all who trust in Jesus for eternal life will one day experience that resurrection. Romans 8.11 says this, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And listen to the good news of Ephesians 2, 4-7. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive. Just like He made this girl alive. He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now, I could read to you all of 1 Corinthians 15. I could read to you from Revelation 21. I'm going to save Colossians 3 for the benediction. But we need to hear and believe the good news. That for all who trust in Christ alone, there is hope. Even in the face of disease and death. Even as we live in our sin-sick, disease-ridden, death-bound bodies, we live with hope. Hope not ultimately in doctors or medicine or any kind of treatment plan, but we live with hope because Jesus, our Savior, through His life, death, and resurrection, has shown 
that he has power over disease and death. Our hope is in him. We can trust in him. Let's pray. Great God, yours is the honor and power and glory forever and ever. In your Son, you have given us what none of us deserve and what none of us could ever achieve. We needed new life, and that comes in Christ and in Christ alone. And so I thank you for giving him to us. You've promised for us a future with no sin, no disease, and no death. We know this doesn't come until the return of your Son. And so with Amanda and with Garrett and with many others who are suffering, we trust you with the timing. Until then, remind us of your constant presence with us. Remind us to come to you with all of our sin, with all of our struggles, big and small. Thank you that we can come to you knowing that you are the one who has power over disease and death. Knowing that you are the one who is strong to display that kind of power, but who is kind to stop and to talk to a woman who has suffered and to send her away whole and to call her daughter. God, I pray for any who are in here this morning who, who do not know you, God, as Father, who do not trust in Jesus, the Son, who cannot hear Him calling them daughter or son, I pray that today they would acknowledge their sin before You, turn from it, and put their faith in Jesus. That they might be made alive together with Christ. Thank You for Your great love for us that You have come to us and You invite us to come to You. In Jesus' name, Amen.